This morning I have the opportunity to stand before you after being gone last week. I appreciate John standing in, the, in my stead last week, and, and he gave you the third E of our E3 discipleship process of engaging the world. He, uh, he was able to do that for us while I was in Pigeon Forge with the students. We had a great time while we were there. Uh, Taylor, correct me if I'm wrong, we had two salvations and six or seven rededications to the Lord while we were gone in Pigeon Forge last week. Would you all give God praise for God moving in our students' lives? As a, as a full conference, there were 12,000 people at the conference, two sessions of 6,000-ish each. And uh, overall, there were about 2,700 decisions made for Jesus that, over the weekend, with 1,300 of those being salvations. So we weren't just off playing and having a good time in Pigeon Forge. We were there to hear a word from God, and uh, he moved while we were there. But John stood up and, and preached last week about engaging the world. And though it took it just a little bit out of order, because this week we're going to look at the second E, which is to equip the saints, uh, there is a bit of an order that has to be followed. We are, though we should be doing all of these things simultaneously, all at the same time, we should all be always exalting Jesus with our lives. We should always be equipping ourselves, equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. We should always be engaging the world with the gospel. But the truth is, until we have been there ourselves, it's hard for us to lead anyone else there. So equipping the saints is second on purpose. It all begins with a heart of worship. It all begins with exalting Jesus and showing gratitude for Him for what He has done in our lives. It all begins there, but then we move to a moment of equipping. And you say, well, Kenan, that leaves me off the hook. I'm a brand new Christian. I don't have to worry about engaging the world right now. Well, don't, don't jump that far ahead. Because truth is, you should be following and using the gifts God has given you and the knowledge He has given you where you are right now. We should never be satisfied with where we are, but there is a point where we are, we are willing to serve Him wherever we are in our walk with Jesus, no matter where that is. If we're brand new Christian, we're going to serve Him to the best of our ability and the best of our knowledge right now. If we have been saved and following Jesus for 60 years, we're going to follow Him and serve Him to the best of our ability right now. We exalt Him, we serve Him, we equip ourselves, and so today we're going to look at what it means to equip the saints. Each week in this series, we have brought out our commission from Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. We have shown us from, from the Scripture what our mission is to be about. He said, go therefore and make disciples. Go isn't necessarily go on a mission trip. It isn't necessarily go to the other sides of the world. It can be but in the Greek, what, what, what John is, or what Matthew has written down, what Jesus has said is, as you are going, as you are living your life, as you are exalting Him with a life of worship, as you are engaging the world in your daily life, going to school, going to work, going to play, hanging out with our families, which is sometimes overlooked, we are to be making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is our mission. 
however we package it, however we look at it, and however we, we are out to get it done, our mission from Jesus is to make disciples. There is a corporate nature to the Great Commission that we all understand. We come here, we work together, we partner. Even in the Southern Baptist world, we partner with other churches in, in our association, in our state, in our nation, around the world for the purpose of engaging the world. There is a corporate aspect to it. We understand that here at the church for the purpose of equipping one another, for, for discipling, for making disciples, we offer corporate worship. We offer Sunday school. We offer men's and women's Bible studies. We offer age-appropriate ministries for our children and for our students. Right now, we are offering a church-wide reading, Bible reading plan, because we all want to be engaging the Word. We all want to be reading and learning together, all on the same page of where God is taking us as a church. And we're encouraging those of us to be a part of a D group which you'll hear more about in the coming days. A D group is nothing more than an accountability group, helping us to see the importance, encouraging us to understand why we should be reading our words every day. But there is also an inferred individual aspect of the Great Commission. Notice in verse 20, Jesus said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus is speaking to, at that moment, to those disciples who followed him. There are the apostles, the 11 apostles are there, but there are also probably other disciples who have followed him, who are listening to his words. These folks have had the opportunity to actually hear his words physically with their ears. They were able to see what he commanded as he provided object lessons, as, as he saw teachable moments. We have not had the opportunity to sit on the Mount of Olives and have Jesus physically there sitting on a rock in front of us teaching us. We have not had the opportunity to walk with him and his disciples as he passed the gates walking to the Garden of Gethsemane and hearing him preach and teach at that moment about him being the true vine and him being the, his father being the husbandman who takes care of the garden. We haven't had that opportunity to physically walk with him. So if we are to be about teaching and doing everything that he has commanded, we have to study his word to know what he commanded. How can we run everything in our lives through the filter of God's word? How can we make all of our decisions with the filter of God's word and knowing what God would have us do in those moments if we do not know what his word said? That takes us back to our first Sunday of the year as we talked about the importance of reading the Bible. Just as corporate worship is the sum of all parts of individuals coming together to worship, the corporate making of disciples is the culmination of believers living their individual lives for Jesus on a daily basis. So as a church, our goal isn't to make you all a disciple group. Rather, our goal is to make each of you individually a disciple of Jesus Christ, who then in turn is making individuals disciples of Jesus Christ. We must understand we are individual worshipers. We are individual, individual servants. 
We are individual engagers of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ who come together into this place as a corporate body to worship our King and to continue being strengthened and encouraged and prepared for the mission that is before us. So today, we'll look at the second E, equip the saints. There are some obvious questions we need to answer. What do we mean by equip? For what purpose are we equipped? When is our equipping complete? And what is the desired outcome of this equipping? We get the idea of equipping the saints in our discipleship process from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Paul wrote this to the believers in Ephesus. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. He says, he gave them to equip the saints. Well, this isn't a sermon about those offices that are listed there, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. What you need to know about these men is, and about these, these people are these are folks who have been called by God for the purpose of equipping. They have been called for the purpose of articulating the gospel, for teaching the believers. We call them different things. We have seven on-staff pastors here at First Baptist. We have an executive pastor. We have a missions pastor. We have a children's pastor and a student pastor. We have a campus pastor. We have a senior adult and pastoral care pastor. We have all of these pastors. We carry a different name than necessarily what we read in verse 11, but it's for the same purpose, to articulate the gospel. But for, according to verse 12, we are to be e about equipping the saints. What does it mean to equip? Equip is the bringing of someone or something to completion, perfect and adequate in every respect, and fit for some purpose. In verse 12, we see that the someone or the something is the saints. That's us. You say, well, Keenan, I'm, I'm no saint. Can I back off for just a second and say that over the generations, over the, from the beginning of the time where Jesus has left this earth and ascended back into heaven, and we have the first century church moving forward through the church history, there was a denomination that has come along that has robbed us of the term saints. We may not use that term for ourselves. We may not use that term for our fellow believers, but Paul says... We are saints. We don't see ourselves that way because we know we don't add up to what the Catholic Church says is necessary for someone to reach sainthood. And the influence has carried over into every Protestant denomination. I remember when I was eight or nine, my parents got me my first study Bible. It was called the Pilgrim's Study Bible. We grew up in a good King James only kind of church and it was a good King James Bible. And many of you may remember when you got your first King James Bible, the, the influence back in 1611, when it was translated of, by the, the, the influence of the Catholic Church, if you opened to the gospels, do you remember what it was called, what they were called? It was the gospel according to St. Matthew, the gospel according to St. Mark, right? 
because the Catholic Church had raised and elevated these apostles, these men, to sainthood. But Paul says, we are all saints of God. If you are holy, righteous, and redeemed by God our Father through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are a saint of Jesus Christ. You are a saint of God. There's two sides of this coin. We can stand before our holy God according to Hebrews because we have this high priest who understands the way we've been the way we've been tested and tempted and this high priest gives us confidence to walk into the throne room of God because we are able to stand before God in confident uh, righteousness because it's Christ's righteousness that's put on top of us, right? It's his blood that cleanses us. We are able to stand confidently as saints before God. Are we still struggling with our flesh? Are we still having moments where we have to battle? And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But isn't there still times where we see ourselves as low down, rotten, nothing but sinners? Well, yes, that's how we started. But in our identity in Christ Jesus is a saint who is able to stand before God in the power of his Holy Spirit. So we are saints. We can't lose that. We, we can't think that Paul is talking about someone else. He's not talking about equipping these holy roller, super Christian type people. He is talking about equipping y'all and me. But for what purpose are we equipped? To put it another way, why are we being equipped? According to verse 12 again, it is to... Uh, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The saints of God, more specifically, our saints, us here at First Baptist, are being equipped to do the work of ministry. Paul further explains that this work of ministry is the building up of the body of Christ. It's the building up of the church. So using our definition from earlier for what it means to equip, our goal here at First Baptist is to bring the saints of God at First Baptist Athens to completion and to present them fit for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what we're about. There is a level of uh, let's come and let's bring people here. We want to make sure we're sharing the gospel. We want to make sure that we are preaching the whole counsel of God's word. We want to make sure that everyone here hasn't had an opportunity to, to repent and to be forgiven of their sin. But when we come into the church, there is an aspect of us as a body of believers that we are here to be encouraged We are here to be lifted up. We are here to be built up. We are here to be equipped here in this moment. So we offer preaching. We offer Sunday school teaching. We offer these programs for the purpose of making us fit for building up the body. But the question arises, when is our equipping complete? According to Chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is enough in this one verse for an entire series of sermons. We don't have that kind of time, JB. So we're not going to do that. But there's a couple things I want you to point out and see. He talks about being mature. And ladies, don't be offended by the word manhood there. 
personhood could work. It is a generic term meaning everyone, okay? So mature is having reached full natural growth or development. We talk about physical maturity, emotional maturity, psychological maturity, spiritual maturity. And some of these things are hard to pinpoint as to when you have reached maturity. It's hard to determine. Now, physical maturity isn't quite as hard. You can, you can put a moment on there. You've stopped growing. You are physically mature-ish. We stop growing up. Sometimes we keep growing other ways, don't we? Uh, we won't get into that tonight, today, but, but sometimes we, but, but, but physical maturity is a little easier to see. You've reached, as a young man, you've reached being a man. I remember I was, I was uh, going, I was a late developer. Um, I, was, I was five foot ten and five foot ten and a half when I graduated high school. Hold on to this. 160 pounds when I graduated high school. I'm not that anymore. My sophomore year of college, my second year of college was the year that I truly grew up. And I'm an overachiever. So for me, it wasn't a freshman 15. I did the sophomore 30. And those of you who've been in college, you know what I'm talking about. Put on 30 pounds, but it wasn't, it was mostly that I just grew up. I had reached physical maturehood. Mature, ma- physical, ma- I matured physically. Okay, so, so I fit, but emotional and psychological maturity is sometimes harder to figure out. It's not quite as cut and dry. We talk about people being mature or usually we talk about them being immature and often our standards are subjective to our own personal opinion. If we think he or she handles their emotions well, we'll say they're emotionally mature. But there are benchmarks that helps us lead to that conclusion. But when it comes to our spiritual maturity, Paul says there is a standard. It's not quite as subjective. Ephesians 4.13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until we are fully like Jesus, our equipping, our being made complete, our discipleship process does not end. Therefore, our end date, you want to know when you're there? You want to know when you've reached it? You want to know when you can relax and stop worrying about trying to be more like Jesus? Your end date is your death date. You never get there. I never get there. No one has ever gotten to be like Jesus on this side of heaven. Paul talks about this in in the book of Philippians as well. In chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Another word for perfect there can be translated mature. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Forgetting what lies behind, 
Sometimes we are too historical to be any good moving forward. We are either holding things against people who they've done it in the past, and I'll never give them trust. I'll never do this. Whatever's happened in the past, we hold on to that, and we won't move forward. We are not willing to let go of what lies behind to be able to move forward to a goal. We have to see that the goal is worth it all. And it's understandable when you look at what Paul says here that this is not easy. You say, Kenan, you're you're acting like this is something that everyone should just easily be able to let go of things and be able to do that. I would never say say that to you. And neither has Paul. Because he's used words like press on, straining forward. And he says, press on again. These phrases infer that it's not only an ongoing process, it's a process that is not easy. It takes work. It takes effort. It's a battle. Every one of us battle our own desires and agendas. And I don't necessarily mean agendas in a corporate setting here. Sometimes it's our own agendas where we are personally arguing with God about what we want in our life and what He has for our life when those things don't match up. We're arguing. We're battling. Sometimes the biggest enemy we have, we need to stop talking about Satan being our enemy and that the enemy was all over me today and that the enemy caused this and the enemy caused that. We got to stop giving him so much credit and power in our lives when the real issue is we battling with the person in the mirror, our own fleshly desires. We want our own way. We battle our own laziness. We battle our own personal pride. We battle, we battle, we battle. But what's important here, and here's its key, don't miss this. We battle. We are not satisfied with where we are. The old saying, I'm not what I once was, right? I'm not where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I once was. Well, that's right, but don't be content with not being where you need to be. Sometimes that's a cop-out. Sometimes we're leaning on, I'm not as bad as I once was. I'm not, so I can relax a little bit. That is not what Paul is saying. He is saying you keep pressing on. You keep struggling. You keep battling. You keep learning. You keep equipping. You say, Kenan, it's a lot of work, and I'm worn out from it. And is there any point where I can just take a vacation from it? Well, there's not, but I don't want you to miss this. It's worth it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, stop right there. Most of the time, we read this and we put actions in it. We think of this verse as, well, you did the crime, you'll do the time, right? You sowed those bad intentions, you sowed those bad things that you did, you made those poor decisions, and now you're going to live with it. What if we instead saw this verse, and and, and that's all good, and that's all right, but what if this verse was also talking about the things we are sowing into our lives when it comes to equipping? If you are sowing and trying to equip yourself to get to your own personal satisfactions, if you're trying to get to your own agendas, if you're trying to get to your own place of pride and the things you have, you will reap what you sow. For the one who sows it to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
But the one who sows to the Spirit from, will from the Spirit rip, reap eternal life. It's worth it. Listen to what he says. So, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul is writing to believers in Philippi about believers in Philippi. He is writing to the saints of First Baptist Athens about our relationship with one another here at First Baptist Athens. Not Sometimes we are kinder to people out in the world than we are to our own brother and sister sitting in the pew with us. And I said we. Don't think I'm preaching at you. Man, we need to be encouraging one another, lifting each other up. The old saying is the, ba- the Baptists, the Christians, we are the worst for shooting our wounded. We make a mistake. It's all over social media. We make a mistake. It's all down the gossip mill. And we can't undo it once it's out there. You say, Keenan, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk bad about you. I understand I was wrong. It's too late. We've already done it. It's already out there. We've already been divisive. Church family, in this moment, while we are in the, in the throes of looking for the next man to fill this pulpit, we cannot be divisive. We have got to work together, encouraging one another. We cannot be deceived. God will not be mocked. What we sow in our flesh, we will reap the consequences in our flesh. What we sow in the Spirit, we will reap from the Spirit. We're equipped for what outcome? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The outcome. We study, we're equipped, we work together, we encourage one another. Why? So we will be anchored, stable, confident in our understanding. Don't get me wrong. The more I learn, the more I know I've got to learn. And many of you will amen that. You know that's true. We never arrive, and I'm not suggesting, suggesting we will ever get a point of fully understanding, but we can certainly know what we know about God to a point that our faith is strong and unshakable. Always learning more, because as you've heard us say it over and over for the last three weeks, last four weeks, the more we know, the more we grow. Remember, we said we are maturing toward the standard of Jesus. Just as there are benchmarks for physical, emotional, and psychological maturity, there are benchmarks for spiritual maturity. And Paul tells us what those benchmarks are in in the next two verses. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow as it builds itself up in love. Grow up in every way into who is the head. Grow up into Christ in every way, in your emotional life, in your psychological life. Now, unfortunately, your physical life probably isn't going to change much if, by being like Jesus. Uh, you know, my poor little daughter, four foot eleven, going to heaven. Being like Jesus isn't going to make her taller. But it's interesting. I want to preface this with: there are real, um, there are real chemical imbalances. There are real clinical depression moments. There are real issues psychologically that some people have to deal with. But there's also things that we bring upon ourselves emotionally, psychologically. And what I am saying is, if, if, if it's not something that must be treated with medicine, and, and brothers and sisters, there is nothing wrong with using medicine if you need it. We never tell you to just pray. Don't use your medicine. If God has put you in the care of a doctor, He heals through doctors and medicine. But there are moments that we can see that we are now more emotionally mature. We can see that we are now more uh, if psychologically mature in the way we handle things because we have become to be more like Jesus in all our ways. We have grown to be more like Him. We are, we as individual disciples, we must work toward being equipped. But we are also part of the sum whole. We are part of the church, the body. And when we all have our spiritual acts together, according to what Paul says, the body grows. We build each other up. We encourage each other. And it impacts our world. As I get ready to land the plane and Wason and the band comes, I want to ask you a series of questions to think about. We always want to walk away from, from a moment with God's Word to figure out how does this apply to me. What would happen if every follower of Jesus was equipped to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and then we actually did it? How would this church change? How would our city, our county, North Alabama change? How would our place of employment change? How would our families change? What would it look like if we truly lived out all the 59 one another passages in Scripture? I'm not going to read all of them to you, but I've picked out a few. If we would actually live those out, what if we would actually bear one another's burdens? What, would if, what if we were to actually accept one another? What if we were to admonish one another, care for one another, be devoted to one another? What if we were to forgive one another? We would probably be more likely to serve one another. That's what we're called to. 
As a church, we will continue to exalt Jesus. We will continue to equip the saints. We will continue to engage the world. But the decision each of us need to make today is, are we each, every one of us, going to be a part of the whole? Are we going to speak the truth in love to one another? Are we going to be maturing in every way, every aspect of our lives to look more like Jesus? If we are not, then our church, our body is not working properly. But if we are, our church will grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's be a church of disciples who exalt Jesus, who equip the saints, and engage the world.